Hello and welcome to This Week in Production, the podcast. I am your host, Art Aldridge, and you're listening to episode 61. Before I get to this week's topic, I want to encourage you to send me your comments and feedback. Please email thisweekinproduction at gmail.com or call me on my Google voicemail. I'm not going to answer, but it's it's a voicemail box that you can leave a message. 601-564-TWIP, T-W-I-P, 601-564-8947. Like I said, I'd love to hear from you, comments, suggestions, good, bad, or whatever. You want to yell at me? You want to tell me I suck? Please, I welcome it. Okay, let's get back to this week's topic. The last few weeks have been very busy for me. This has included editing, shooting on location, lots of production things that are normal to me, which haven't been normal in quite a long time. I hope this is a good sign of things to come, but I am not completely optimistic and hopeful. But let me tell you about a few of the things that I had going on in the last two weeks. First, I had a real location shoot with a call sheet and a gaffer and some crew. I mean, I almost forgot how to do a call sheet. It's been so long. This was uh, in Brooklyn. I'm in the uh, lower Hudson Valley, so it's not a travel job per se, get in a car and, and go to Brooklyn. It's about an hour and a half drive with traffic. And we shot on location in a very nice restaurant. It's easy nowadays to shoot in restaurants because they're not open for business for the most part, not inside at least, and you can actually rent them out and you're helping the restaurant out and you get some interesting locations. This was like an interstitial piece for a live stream. This was with a mixologist, a bartender, kind of like a cookbook, a how-to, if you will. And I had a gaffer and I had a PA and I had an assistant camera. We didn't have sound. You know, sound seems to be getting the short end of the stick on these jobs since it's no touch and simple. So we just did a a shotgun mic on a boom pole and we wired it right into the camera. So sorry, George, but audio got the short end of the stick, as they say. But it it was fun to be on location with some crew that I haven't seen in a while. And it was interesting because I was speaking with the gaffer. And he was telling me that he's been getting uh, probably one or two days a week for the past month um, getting hired to do political ads, which I thought was interesting. I I didn't really realize that, I guess, people were producing political ads, and uh, good for him. I, I haven't seen any of that work, but he said he's been busy, so that's encouraging. So that particular job we shot with my Varicam LT, and I shot with my Canon Cine Prime lenses, and we used a GH5 with a Canon L series adapter and the 24 to 70 L lens as a uh, B camera. And we got some overheads and some handheld angles of the drinks being made. And we shot the master shot in 4K in case we needed to do a punch in. Very compact shoot, very tight. We got the whole thing done in about four hours. And it looked great. And it's really neat. The new version of Final Cut Pro was released a few weeks ago. Final Cut 10.4.9. 
And it's not a big fancy update. There are some things in there that they've improved. But for me, one of the things that I've been waiting for the longest has been the ability to use proxy media that's generated by the camera. Now my Varicam can shoot in two different codecs. It can shoot a primary codec, which is usually like AVC Intra or ProRes. And they can also shoot a matching proxy file, which is usually a six megabit full raster 1080 file. Even if you're shooting 4K, it'll shoot a, it'll record a 1080 proxy with matching time code and matching file names. The problem in the past is that Final Cut Pro has not accepted that proxy file as a matching file to the camera originals. I don't know why. It's always given me some generic error, like the audio formats don't match. And I've tried to trick it, and I just can't. So in the past, the only way I could use proxy media is if I had Final Cut Pro render out new proxy files. And that just, I don't know, it doesn't sit well with me. It seems like a waste of time, and I've just never used it. Now that my camera proxies are recognized by Final Cut Pro, I can now share projects using the proxy files and relink them back to my original project very simply. I decided with all the work I had going on over the last couple of weeks that I would outsource some of this editing on the energy job that we shot in San Francisco in July. I decided to outsource some of that editing to my friend John Warner. John is a writer, producer, director, longtime friend of mine. He was on TWIP episode 11 talking about finding creativity, which is one of the most downloaded episodes of TWIP. If you haven't listened, go ahead and check that out, episode 11. But anyway, I was able to do a very unique workflow for Johnny because Johnny edits in Premiere and I edit in Final Cut. I've never had good luck going back and forth between Premiere and Final Cut. There is a nice piece of software for Final Cut Pro. I think it's maybe for some other edit systems as well, but it originated for Final Cut Pro. And it's made by Philip Hodgetts, Intelligent Assistance, and it's called Builder. The whole system, he's got a system of metadata tagging and editing, and it's called Lumberjack Systems. And in the Lumberjack family, there's the Lumberyard, which is like a a way to do logging on a phone while you're on location. And then you merge that logging note metadata with their camera records. And then in Final Cut, it tags the clips for you based on your logging notes, which is pretty cool. And then there's another program they have called Builder. And what Builder does is that it will read my event libraries, the, the events in my production library from Final Cut. I'll export an XML from Final Cut of that event. Builder will import the XML. It'll show me all the clips. I then, with a couple of clicks, can send out the files to translation via their cloud service. So what I did first was take the proxy files from Final Cut Pro and I moved them into a external hard drive. I exported an XML from Final Cut and imported that into Builder. I used Builder to do transcription in the cloud. It's actually very intelligent the way they did it. When you put the XML into Builder, it just reads them from 
wherever they are stored in Final Cut. So there's no moving of media around. And when you send the clips up to the cloud for transcription, it's only sending the audio because it, it knows the time codes and it knows the clip names. So you don't need to window burn anything. You don't need to make new files. It goes up to the cloud very fast and it comes down even faster, way faster than real time. The cost of the transcripts is like 35 cents per minute. And it's very reasonable, it's very fast. And granted, it is machine processed, it's AI, if you will, but it's not bad. I mean, it's you can go in and change a couple of the words, but for the most part, I've found it to be accurate enough that I could do what they call a paper edit or a radio edit. So you send the transcripts out for cloud processing, they come back, and now you have text and the video. And then you can do a paper edit from there or, you know, basically cutting and pasting text and it builds a string out for you, which then you can send back to the editor. So I gave Johnny the proxy files and I gave him the builder project that I made with the transcripts. And then he opened that up because he doesn't need Final Cut. He doesn't need anything except the builder app, which I included. And he was able to paper cut or radio edit the narrative and send me back an XML file. And this workflow is really cool. And like I say, they have a whole suite of tools for tagging and, and logging and processing. It's all called the Lumberjack Systems. I encourage you to check it out. I think it works in Premiere. It might work in some other platforms as well. I know obviously Final Cut for me. Really good tools. The, the gentleman who makes it, Philip Hodgetts, they understand production, they understand workflow, editorial. So it's a really nice piece of software. They make other tools that you may know of. They make Producer's Best Friend, which lets you do some tagging. And they have a new one for YouTube, which lets you do indexing based on markers. Really, really nice workflow tools. Well done. Check it out. So I have Johnny working on editorial for me on that job. Meanwhile, in addition to that, I've been hired as a sort of a pair of hands. This is the the nice part about my crew is that it, the work is incestuous in that it's shared. If, uh, if I need to hire someone, I look to my regular guys first, like John Warner, and it's vice versa. Johnny will hire me to shoot or, you know, hire uh, Lulita or whatever, any of my regular guys, we all work with each other outside of the stuff that I hire them from. So Lulita had referred me to a friend of his who's a corporate producer at a big company. And they're doing more live streaming. And we had a whole conversation about the stuff that I've been doing. And I did a rod and building my own capture kits. And, and we thought there might be some work there. And then I didn't really hear anything for a while. And then I got a call and he said, listen, we're doing a big live stream job. We've hired a big media agency to produce it for us, but we're having some trouble with the host who's not technical. She's, um, you know, on camera, great, knows how to do things, but the gear we sent it, it doesn't look right and they're having problems with the internet. So she happens to live relatively close to me within about an hour's drive. 
And they wanted to know if I could be of assistance, basically be a local pair of hands to assist them to do this remote show. I said, sure, I'll be happy to help you out. Of course, first time with this company, get your foot in the door kind of thing. But I wasn't really sure what to expect. But I said, I'm going to go down. I'll check the internet, see how it is, see how the speeds are, because they were not even certain if they had enough (laughs) internet speed to do this. It's going to be like a two or a three day live show. And this host is going to be in between all these big acts. And it's a big, it's a big production. And they weren't even sure she had enough bandwidth to, you know, stream from her, her basement, basically, she's home with a a fairly newborn child. And, you know, it's just the reality now of working from home, I guess. So I go down, and I speed check the internet. And the speeds were very good, way better than she had tested as they were instructing her to. So they were happy about that, because we were talking about other ways to do it bonded cellular and things that I have and things they could send. So we got the internet worked out. And they said, me, you know, we might need you to come back and do a couple other things. We'll let you know. And then I got a call a couple days later and they said, hey, could you go and shoot a promo with the host? Because we need to build some social media teases for this event. I said, sure. So we worked at a rate. I took my Varicam down there. It's, you know, one man crew working in this woman's basement and it's tight. Like the set is a desk with a little hutch behind it that she has there. And they sent some props to be put in the hutch, but had to be dressed, had to be lit, had to be, you know, designed a little bit. And she was not able to really get that right with the kit that they sent. They sent her a fair amount of kit, a camera, a tripod, some lights, you know, and she was just like, I'm not really sure what to do with any of this. So I shot a promo, uploaded the media to them. That was all great. Then they're talking about doing, you know, more rehearsals and more tests. And, you know, it's great. I'm happy to have the work. It's not my job. Like, I'm just a hired pair of hands. So I'm a little bit out of the loop on the direction and all the pieces. But I get the sense that they're going to use a a live view encoder. No cellular because she has strong enough internet and they're going to use unity intercom to do the communication back and forth and they use something called Showflow to run the show i've never used Showflow, but i've heard it discussed not that impressed with it it's a cloud-based i guess document sharing resource sharing thing they want to use a teleprompter and a script and some things like that so i'm going to be going back and spending days with rehearsals and babysitting the equipment and being sort of the technical director for her location. And it's kind of weird because I'm sitting in her unfinished basement and uh, it's like, you know, come in through the side door and I don't interface with anyone except for her and we're wearing masks and we're six feet apart and you know how all that goes. So that's been something I've been working on in the last two weeks, and I'll continue that for another week or so. And then I've had other editing going on at the same time, and that's why I needed my friend Johnny to help me out with some overflow. So I had done some remote capture shoots with my kit. You heard those tales 
of the teleprompter and the iPhone and sending the kit. So that actually worked out really well. And some of those jobs I was going to edit internally for the client. Some of them were being handled by the client directly. So I started editing this one promo. And, you know, the kit worked great. And I got the files from the live stream. But I also got the phones back, which had a local recording, which was better quality, limited to 720p. But we have, you know, like a six or eight megabit file, which is better than the two or three that I'm getting on the stream end. So I started editorial. And, you know, the problem is this shoot at home yourself footage is not always in the most glamorous locations. This particular uh, job was like corporate cybersecurity kind of thing. And they shot against a wall, a plain white wall, because they thought that would be the best. And I, maybe that was the only place the gear would really fit. So I get the footage back and it, you know, it looks like you shot it against a white wall. It's, there's no depth. It's too close. It's not a piece of seamless. It's not lit that way. So it needs help. And, you know, I start stylizing. Everything needs to be stylized to, to make it look better. And I start stylizing it. I'm spending time and I'm doing these edits at night because I'm doing these other jobs during the day. And it's just been frantic frantic and I'll send a cut over and they come back and there's like a list of revisions or tweaks and then I do another revision so this went back and forth this week pretty heavy and we got to like eight rounds of revisions before they wanted to show it to the client and a lot of it was tweaking the graphics and it had to be on the brand guidelines and the colors had to match exactly and you know how that sort of corporate stuff goes and it's it's hard like I don't like designing graphics. I can do basic text. I can do some things, but I am not a motion graphics editor. I mean, I could I could create things, but it takes me a while. And sometimes I'm struggling for uh, creativity, you know, inspiration, if you will. And it just was hard. It's taken a lot of time, but I finally got that one out the door. And I'm waiting to hear, but I think it's good enough to show the client. <laughs> So we'll see what they come back with after all of that. For another one of these corporate remote capture jobs that I did, they're talking about things that we would normally go out and shoot as B-roll. You know, I've gone into New York City. I've shot, and I, I've shot people, generic people shot, generic hustle and bustle, cars, intersections. Like that's all great stuff for corporate stock footage. And in this case, we needed some very specific things that we couldn't go out and shoot, no budget, no time. So I went to, you know, the web and I, I put my toe into some stock footage libraries and I've never really used a lot of stock footage. I've used some stuff over the years, but that's been very specialized and very expensive footage that you license through like Getty or things like that. Now everything is becoming more commodity. But I decided to try ArtGrid, artgrid.io. They're, they're also the people who do artlist.io, which is a great, fantastic stock music uh, library system. And it's, you know, license covers you everything for social media and everything else. And there's no issues, nothing gets flagged. And the quality of the music is really good. 
really good. I found everything from instrumentals to stuff with lyrics, stuff that almost sounds like it might be on the radio. So I've been very happy with Artlist, so I decided to try their Art Grid product. And I think it was 400 bucks for the year, unlimited access at HD res. They offered up some other options at higher resolutions, but for the stuff I'm doing, I don't need raw, I don't need 4K, and uh, I just said, let's try it out. And I found, you know, it's not great. It's not a great stock footage library in that it has everything you want. I don't think there's any one library you're going to find that with. As a matter of fact, I was looking for some people shots wearing masks. And this company wants to show corporate diversity. <laughs> so I laugh because it's just, you know, you, you understand it and, and, it should be that way. But when you go to look for stock footage and you want diverse people represented, you don't always find it. And in, in art grid, I could not find very many, um, black stock footage clips. I found like maybe one, one Asian family. We're looking for people in wearing masks. I, I think there was like one Asian and maybe one Hispanic and no black, mostly whites. And it was just weird and frustrating. And now I had to start looking into other libraries and you know, I'm not sure where that's gonna wind up. So I've been working on, on those edits and that's at a point I think where it's, it's in a pretty good place. While all of this editorial is going on and then the uh, live stream, you know, physical hands-on technical directing part. I've also been planning my corporate client. My main client has been now moving towards doing virtual corporate golf outings. And this means basically with a golfer and no attendees, no guests, the golfer is going to play a hole of golf with the foursome, which will be virtual, it'll be in like a, if, if you will, it's not going to be Zoom, but it'll be like a Zoom meeting. And there'll be four people watching the golfer play golf, and the golfer will be talking with them. They can ask questions. It'll be interactive. And it's going to involve me having a local um, camera operator and someone who's going to carry a uh, bonded cellular transmission unit. That's how we're going to do the live streaming from the golf course. And then maybe a PA to drive a cart and move the gear around. So very small crew, much smaller than what I normally do. And this is all being planned. And I needed to do a test. I needed a test to sort of prove the concept. And I'm working with another AV company who's handling the event registration, and they're going to do the actual integration between the live stream and the guests. I'm going to produce the live shots, and then they're going to integrate it into the, if you will, the Zoom meeting. And we needed to test it. So the company set up a day at a local course to me in New Jersey, and I took my Teradek Bond encoder, which is a basically a backpack with this one has three cellular modems in it. You can do up to four cellular modems and then maybe one phone over like Bluetooth or Wi-Fi. And this backpack is going to represent 
the transmission from the golf course. Now, I've purchased some other gear. Yes, I've actually made a capital investment this year in equipment. It's a little scary. And it's basically to do this series of events. And what I decided to purchase was some gear made by a company called Intenor out of Sweden. And they make a uh, bonded cellular mobile unit, like a backpack, that will transmit using a bunch of different technologies uh, to a server, if you will. And the server sits in my control room. And it's similar to like a live view, similar to Teradek, and then it's using bonding. And what bonding is, is it's using multiple uh, distribution points, multiple cellular networks. It splits up the signal based on how much upload throughput you have. It sends out all these packets over different networks. And then the packets have to be put back together by a specialized piece of equipment, hence this uh, receiver if you will. They call it a router. It's a special router. So the, the transmitter sends it directly from the backpack to my router that's going to sit in my control room. This is different than the live view because the live view uses a cloud service and it's their own cloud service. And you have to pay a monthly fee for all of that usage, even if you're not using it. In one of the episodes, we had a guest, Lowell Thaler, who runs a production company in Florida who does a lot of golf, and they do it all with live views. And he was telling me in March when I spoke to him about the pandemic and the work, he was saying that he's still paying live view even though he's not using the units. So I didn't want to go down that road. This is a buy it once and then use it as many times as you want without the fee for the service. I mean, you have to pay for the cellular, but that's to whatever carrier you're using. And so I decided to buy this. I saw, I actually saw a webinar in March or April, right around NEB, when NEB was supposed to be. I saw a webinar about it, and I liked what they had because they've got some n interesting uh, technologies rolled into this equipment that's unique to them. And I'll go into more detail once I get the units and test them. But anyway... That's what I bought, but I don't have them yet. They're not coming in for another few weeks. So I needed to test this concept for the client with what I had. And I said, this will represent basically what we're going to do. So I, uh, I dragged my business partner out with a glide cam rig and this backpack. And we went to the golf course with someone who was pretending to be the pro golfer. And... The problem, of course, is that you need cellular connectivity. And a lot of times on golf courses, they're tucked away. They're big tracks of land. Sometimes you're not near a cell tower, whatever. And that was the case with this particular venue. There were maybe two bars of uh, coverage showing on my phone. I have AT&T. The backpacks got AT&T, Verizon, and T-Mobile in it for cellular modems. So I knew we were on the cusp, but it was very frustrating because we couldn't get a signal consistently. And that was frustrating. It was frustrating for me. It was frustrating for the client. But it sort of highlighted the potential risk of going out and doing these events only on bonded cellular. 
Now, in a perfect world, if we knew all of the locations, which we don't at this point because they're still negotiating contracts, if we knew all the locations, it is possible that we could go and test and see which locations were viable via bonded cellular. But as we were talking through it with the client, no one was getting that sort of warm, fuzzy feeling that we were going to be okay no matter what. And I think that's accurate. I wasn't feeling like we could definitely pull these off. And if you're investing, I mean, not me investing, but if the client is investing the money and the time and you've got the people dedicating chunks, parts of their day to watching this, you certainly don't want to have a problem (laughs) when it's showtime. So I started floating the idea of maybe we could do cellular and bring in a a data sat, a data satellite, a portable one, and put it on the hole and use that to bring in connectivity in addition to what we might have in cellular. Because to do streaming, you know, you need at least two megabits up, preferably four if you really want to get a 1080 picture. And this would be guaranteed bandwidth. This particular system I'm looking at is guaranteed bandwidth. And it uses a 1.2 meter dish. So it's not the little 18 inch dish. I think it's like a a two foot or a four foot dish. And it's guaranteed throughput. And of course you need um, someone to set it up and point it. Um, They say it could be done, you know, by the end user, but realistically with the skeleton crew, I think I need someone there to do it. So I'm pitching this idea of maybe using this as the primary and cellular as the backup. So now you have to start exploring the cost of all of this and the the bandwidth is not cheap. It's like $500 an hour for this kind of guaranteed throughput. So you're looking at a fairly substantial investment in the, the bandwidth, the labor, the equipment, And then part of it is that some of these golf holes, because we don't know exactly where they're going to be and what the length is, you know, you're not going to run an Ethernet cable to the camera on a 400-yard hole. So now I need to have, in addition to the satellite, which is the uplink point, I need to have a Wi-Fi mesh network big enough to cover a 400-yard spread. So at least three repeaters, maybe four repeaters, stands, wiring, power, right? All of these things now, it starts to add up into a bigger Megillah. But if you're investing the money and you're inviting your clients, this is probably the only way to guarantee that it's going to get done. So on top of all all of the shooting and editing I had going on. I am planning out the logistics on on these. There's 11 of these events in the next three months. And it's quite nutty and a little overwhelming. And I know that I've probably been, you know, rambling on about this for a few minutes now. It's good crazy. And um, I'm anxious to see it all work. And I'm sure my clients act anxious to see it all work. So stay tuned. That'll be really the next month is going to be the uh, make or break 
point of my year as to whether we get these jobs off the ground successfully. So stay tuned for that. As always, thanks for listening. Stay safe. Stay well. I'll see you next week. Do you have something to say? Drop me an email at thisweekinproduction at gmail.com. Or even better, call our new TWIP voice mailbox and leave us a message. 601-564-TWIP. That's 601-564-8947. Also, a reminder that This Week in Production is available on all major podcast platforms, including Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. So please subscribe to get every episode. Lastly, if you like what you hear, would you mind giving me a rating or a review? I'd appreciate that. Okay, that's a wrap on This Week in Production. Thanks for listening.